Welcome to Unfuck Your Brain, the only podcast that teaches you how to use psychology, feminism, and coaching to rewire your brain and get what you want in life. And now here's your host, Harvard Law School grad, feminist rock star, and master coach, Kara Lowenthal. Hello, my chickens. I am really looking forward to this conversation we're about to have today because I think it's something that probably some of you have thought about a lot. And then probably some of you are going to be like, what are you talking about when you hear this today? Because we are going to be talking about sort of an aspect of society and health and especially wellness culture that sort of gets universally like lionized and praised and why that's maybe not such a good idea or such a good thing. So that was like weirdly evasive given that the title of this episode says what it's about, but we're going to be talking about exercise. I'm here with three of my incredible students from the Advanced Certification Feminist Coaching who are amazing coaches, Deb, Sarah, and Jill. And they're going to tell you all about who they are and what they do because they'll do a better job of it than I will. So let's just do that first. And then we will start to dive into this topic. Deb, you want to start us off? Sure. Hi, I'm Deb Malkin and I am a feminist life coach and I coach on chronic pain and conditions and also general life stuff. And I kind of came through this work as a body positive fat activist, body worker, movement specialist, and general rebellious human who doesn't like other people to tell me what is true about my body. So coaching on chronic pain is so interesting because it's so much about the intersection between like our physical reality and our beliefs about them. And so this work is so deeply rooted in this mythology around exercise. So I'm excited to have this conversation. Thanks. Nice. Jill, what about you? My name is Jill Angie, and I am a fat feminist runner. And I'm also a certified running coach. And what I do is help fat women start running so that they can feel more confident in their bodies, more confident in their lives, and also fuck the patriarchy. It's much easier to fight the patriarchy when you can run far and have better stamina. Exactly. <laughs> and that's why I love, I mean, having you here for this conversation, I think you're someone people would assume would just be like, exercise is amazing and everybody should do it. And it's the best, you know, it's only ever a good thing as a running coach. So I'm excited for your perspective on this. I have Sarah, <laughs> what about you? Yes. So I'm Sarah Shiozawa and I'm a feminist leadership coach. And primarily I work with leaders in corporate and government and it's up-leveling leadership confidence. But my leaders have a tremendous amount of burnout, overwhelm, and the intersectional feminism has been extremely important for coaching every single unique client and where they come from. And then also with their teams, getting more diverse teams, understanding the individuals, where they're coming from. So, you know, helping my leaders, you know, when the leader is coached, that's been one of the goal. But this work specifically has been my own personal work because I'm my first client at the end of the day. And so how did you kind of come to this topic as well, since it's a little bit less straight in your niche than Deb and Jill? Yes. Well, it was from the writing. Devin and I had just some really great conversations, but because of the morality associated with buffering. And specifically, there was an example of alcohol and over-exercising. And sitting with that, because for whatever reason, you know, I had 
had this idea that like, you know, drugs or alcohol or whatever is a bad buffer Mm -hmm. and exercise is a, is a more like socially acceptable buffer. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, they're all buffers. Yeah. So Sarah comes to this more from like, it's, I think your personal kind of experience and also somebody, and I actually can't really see you, but I have the impression you are not in a fat body. So a person in a kind of more mid-size or straight size body, but who had this, like, I mean, I remember when you went, we were going through the curriculum and I remember you posting the sock and being like, wait a minute, like, what are you talking about? But obviously like drinking and drugs are quote unquote bad and exercise is good. Right. And like, so many of us have that assumption and that thought process. So that's what we're really going to talk about today. And I think like, for those of you who, for some of you as podcast listeners, I mean, it's going to feel like a big relief. And then some of you are going to feel like very challenged by it. And both of those are great. And I encourage you to sit with whatever reaction you're having and be curious about it. But what we're really going to talk about is, you know, yes, both the sort of some of the positive benefits of intentionally moving your body. We have to even define what we mean by exercise, but also like what is all the cultural messaging and baggage around it, right? And how does it fit into the kind of variety of practices that I would just call like self-regulation practices, right? Like ways that people try to regulate themselves and deal with their emotions and that kind of morality we have around those. So let's actually just start with, yeah, like, what are we talking about when we say exercise? I guess to me, I think of basically sort of moving your body on purpose for some sort of like additional purpose or benefit beyond just this feels good to do. But I'm curious how you guys define it. I'll jump in. In the past, I would have said like exercise is kind of intentional movement for a particular physiological purpose. Mm. And the problem with that is I just, I don't know if you heard of Dr. Leah Crum's study on the housekeepers. It's like her colleague described exercise as a placebo. And so the mindset of exercise- Wait, wait, you got to tell people what that study is. So the study is- there are these housekeepers that they followed and, and, you know, housekeeping is a physically taxing job, but the 84 women in this study didn't believe that they exercised. Like a whole number of them was like, when they were asked, do you get any exercise? Their answer was no. And so throughout this study, the process was to not have them do any different physical labor or activities, but to kind of tell them that the work that they are doing all day long from their job was exercise and then their health markers changed. Like Mm -hmm. they received the benefit, like the positive benefit that we associate with exercise just from believing that they were exercising by doing their job. And so with that- We got to like slow that down and say that again because I just just like don't want people to hear that. Like, so what happened was- yeah. All that changed was that they were told, hey, did you know you are already exercising? Yeah. This thing you do for a job is exercise. And mm-hmm. then their health markers changed, right? So yes. they got like the benefits we associate with exercise came at mm-hmm. least in part, come at least in part from yeah. the way that we think about it and what we call mm-hmm. it. Like everybody yeah. just needs to really let that sit in their brains and not just be like, oh, an interesting fact I learned. Let me yeah. move along. Like really true. that's mind blowing. It is deeply, deeply mind-blowing. And so when I think about almost anything I believe now, I start with like, what are the beliefs? Who's selling me these ideas? And what do I really want to believe about them? 
because I think there's so much about health that we don't know. Because just believing you are exercising changes your health without changing anything you're doing physiologically is astounding. So it just is like shows that there's a lot of storytelling about health benefits or even about what health is. And so it's hard to unravel it. And exercise is to me now kind of a mindset about your body. Mm. That's where I start with, which is like, because when we think of it as the outcome, we're always left in this place of chasing something that Mm -hmm. we don't currently have. And that chasing of something external from us is like, we're either chasing a feeling that we don't currently have, or we're chasing some physiological symbol of health, Mm -hmm. which is something that we've been kind of sold that like looks like health. And then of course we find out later, you know, oh, you know, this person on Instagram looked great, but they felt terrible. Right. And so it's like, we don't, have in this country, like a not fat phobic, not racist, not ageist description of what health even is. And so or what exercise even or is, what right? exercise like, or what is, is enough exercise. Yeah. So there's John, a lot of reasons for exercising, whatever that means to you, <laughs> whatever, whatever it means to you. How do you think about this, Jill? Like, what does that term mean to you? I don't like the term exercise because I feel like it's an attempt to put movement into sort of a box and also Mm -hmm. like moralize it, I guess, Mm -hmm. because like you said, Deb, you know, here are folks that are getting all of this movement in a day and they're like, oh, but I'm not getting any exercise. And I guess maybe by the technical definition of exercise, which is, you know, going out and doing some form of sport or walking or something like that for a set period of time, like, I guess technically maybe they're not getting exercise, which is why I don't really like that word in general, because I think it just has kind of a weird connotation. But if I had to define it, I think it is just movement of the body, period. It's something that you're doing that's not laying or sitting. (laughs) I guess that's kind of what I would say, because you could also do exercises laying down, right? You could like move your arms or move your legs. Those would be your exercises. Excellent point. Yeah. All right. So maybe it's movement of your body, period, movement. I think it seems um, that to do, there's something about the intention, right? One person might go for yeah. an hour walk and be like, I exercised today. I went for my walk. That was my exercise. Whereas somebody else is just like, yeah, I took a walk. Like that's not yeah. my exercise. Yeah. Like I don't exercise at all or I do exercise and that's not exercise. That's just a walk, right? Like people, yeah. it's all like, what is your intention? What is your kind of thought process behind I think it is. And it's a very, it's a very moralized term because we're told that we should exercise. And then you're kind of, if you're thinking, well, exercise is this very narrow definition, then you're missing out on all the stuff that you're doing. And to me, I'm, I'm more about like, Hey, let's just move because it feels good to move our bodies in whatever way we decide to do it. And yeah, that's just, it's just not my favorite word in general. (laughs) Yeah. What about you, Sarah? What has your been kind of your experience? Hi, you know, so I agree with Jill that I think that the term is very loaded either way. And I just, this past month, you know, I'm a runner. I've, I've ran long distance since I was, and it's just a habit. I literally just have to put on my shoes and I'm out the door, but developing different practices 
I mean, even something as simple as yoga or Pilates, I mean, and they're very, I mean, it's literally just breathing. And so it's, it's interesting because there's different practices and every body is different. And what's fun for someone is completely different, but yeah, it's like, it's the movement, it's the intention and it's the boost in, I mean, for, for me, the reason why I move is because I, I do experience a mood boost. Like, even if it's just walking around the, the block, now, whether that's that's a buffer, like for me, when I move my body, it doesn't matter how or, or why or what, if it's dancing for like one song, like I always have a mood boost. And so that's what I think it is for me is, is just some type of movement. Yeah. And I'm sure that the reality, like, I don't think that, you know, the housekeeper study, which is just one study also means that like, there's no physiological impacts from moving your body otherwise. Right. It's like, I, it would be interesting to have a study that was like people who don't physically move during the day at all. And if they think they exercise, what's the difference in their bodies? But I think that's part of what is so tricky about untangling all of this is that it is so moralized. So people always will mostly self-report that like exercise makes them feel good. And people who like to quote unquote exercise, that's why they do it. And there, I'm sure there are physiological things happening. Like your blood is moving, your lymph is moving, you're breathing more deeply, whatever. And also there's the thought you have, which is like, oh good, I exercise. Like I'm a okay, good person today, right? Like I did the thing I'm supposed to do. It's just like with, you know, sort of studies of dieters and dieting that like there was a study on, they talked about a maintenance phase recently that like some of the health benefits that people supposedly see from certain diets or intentional changing of their food is actually coming from the effects of the belief that they've done something good for their health. Because it can happen with all different, you could like be eating all meat or all vegetables or all, it's like not coming from the food itself because the diets are all different. It's coming from the change in your, like your belief in your self-conception of like, okay, I did the good thing. Like I'm good. I'm in control. Whatever your thoughts are right around that. And I don't think you can ever completely untangle those things, right? No. But I think the process that's important is becoming aware why we're doing something and like the benefit that we're seeking. Like when you become aware that you're feeling good about yourself because you're taking these actions, then you can have a lot more choice in the actions that you take. It's not the activity mm -hmm. that you're doing per se that's giving you the benefit. So that's where we can loosen up and have a lot more freedom and also just understand like, are these thoughts like, do I want to keep believing that I can like earn my food by exercising or whatever, or think I'm a good person right. because I like, you know, went for a run or went for a walk rather than like, like enjoying, like we don't even have to enjoy movement, but I think is better when we enjoy things, right? We can learn to enjoy things on purpose. So it's like sometimes just practicing enjoying a walk has health benefits that are greater than like the distance that you walk. But that can also be its own trap because as somebody who like does have chronic pain and who doesn't love intentional exercise and how it feels, I feel like there's this almost like discourse of naturalness around like, well, bodies naturally want to move. And I'm like, well, yeah, but on a real range, like look at dogs, like a greyhound wants to run and has been bred to run. And like, mm -hmm. then a pug wants to sleep on the couch most of the day. Like, there's a real range in what like animals who presumably we think don't have these cultural paradigms, like whether how they want to run, right. Or like the sort of naturalness around like 
you'll naturally know how much you want to eat to feel whatever. I'm like, have you ever seen a cat eat until it throws up? Because I have. And like, that's a natural thing it's doing. Like, I think that there's this sort of part of current wellness culture is this like idea that sort of, it's like people learn a little bit that socialization is a thing. And then the response to that is to sort of be like, oh, well, if we like can remove the socialization, you will naturally gravitate towards eating a Mediterranean diet and weighing 125 pounds or something, right? Which is like, that's not actually true. Nature has a huge variety of shapes and sizes and energy levels and diets. And animals do shit like eat fermented grass to get high and eat too much and puke sometimes and not want to go for walks. And I just like there's this weird, like, oh, it's almost like the 19th century, like romantic poetry movement of just like in the state of nature, we would like, everything would be beautiful. And then it's like, you know, Wordsworth, have you ever been to an actual sheep farm? It's not actually just like three beautifully washed sheep on a meadow. It, there's like a lot of dirt and muck and confusion in the natural world. So this is a little tangent, but I feel like it relates because this, I think that this, sometimes I feel like this discourse around like your body naturally wants to move. You should just do what you enjoy is like, well, what about people who are like, I don't enjoy any of this. Like I don't, whether it's breeding, whether it's like genetics and centuries of genetic breeding or just whatever, like some of us are like, I'm pretty good on the couch, actually. I don't really feel like, so this to me is part of what's fascinating about like, so what does that mean is exercise and how, where does that benefit come from? Like, is it really this physical movement that we're like fetishizing or is it really our mindset about it? Well, and I think it's our society's like obsession with productivity even. Mm-hmm. I mean, for me, because I've always been a runner, like I didn't have a productive day if I didn't go for a run. Mm. Like I, I based my productivity on like that, getting that run in. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, for many years I was like that. So it's just really interesting. Like what's. Yeah. Like, and like, how is that productive? Like the ways that we sweep ah. anything into a moralizing term, right? Like if we decide that productive equals good, then somehow like food and exercise become productive, even though actually they're consumptive or energy expending, you're actually not producing anything. Right. Like, but that's what happens when a word becomes just a code word for good or bad, then anything can go in there. I mean, we are producing the ability to stay alive. Yes, that's true. Like our own aliveness is maybe the point of like our brain and our body doing stuff. So it's like it is outside of productivity. Mm -hmm. Just the fact that we exist, we can decide that's enough. So. I think it also the like the sort of like exercise is always good. And like, I feel like people listening to this are going to be like, so you're saying nobody should ever exercise, which is obviously not what any of us are saying. If you are happy with your movement practice, knock yourself out. But like a lot of people are very stressed out about their movement practice, whether they have one or not, which is also the irony, right? Like somebody who doesn't exercise may look at somebody who runs all the time and be like, I bet they feel great about themselves and they love their movement. and And meanwhile, they're like Sarah. And if they miss a day, then they shit on themselves. So It's not better there than here, right? But also you get the situation where I think people like, I definitely know people who use exercise to manage their mood, right? To like be able to cope. (laughs) Jill just raised her hand. So Jill Jill should talk about this next. But I think like, (laughs) and I'm not saying that's bad when that's done as a substitute for like the coaching or the therapy or whatever else you need to like get to know yourself. It just is not, I think socially we're like, yes, that's good. That's what you should do to like blow off steam. But it's just like, if you don't change your thoughts, I mean, I like, I have a member of my family who I feel like is like this, where they, they're so stressed out all the time and exercise just like basically keeps them one step away from having the nervous breakdown. It like burns off enough energy and anxiety and produces enough feel good hormone to like get them through the day. 
but then it becomes like Sarah was describing, like the sort of crutch where it like has to happen because if it doesn't happen, you can't cope without it. And then what happens, right? You're just building the pressure back up and releasing the steam valve every day, right? And then your thoughts start again. And people do this with yoga and anything else. Like if that's the cycle you're in, we're not here saying that's bad or better or worse than eating or drinking or watching Netflix or whatever people do to manage their emotions. But it's actually not, you're not actually solving your problem any more than if you were just watching Netflix, right? You're just releasing stress hormones and then feeling better and then doing it again the next day. And then like, what happens if you sprain an ankle? You know, like I just think about people like that and I'm like, what is going to happen? What if you break your leg? What about when you're 80 and you can't really run 20 miles a day? Like, what are we going to do? You're not going to have any tools. What do you think about this, Jill, since you raised your hand as someone who? (laughs) Well, I do. I definitely do use exercise, either walking or running or lifting as like a short-term mood management. Like if I'm having a day and I'm just feeling like really pissed off, sometimes I like, I need to take the edge off of that before I can deal with it or dive Mm in. Totally. But I also have like a slightly different take, I think, on exercise and mind management because I think exercise... And here I am using the word that I hate. <laughs> I'm just going to say running because that's, you go, know, that's, that's what I teach. But just plug in whatever you do. <laughs> Insert word here. But I think one of the things, one of the joys for me and a lot of the folks that I work with about running is that it actually creates a space where you can work on your mind and you can manage your thinking. And I think lifting is the same thing for me as well. So I'll actually spend time when I'm out running, sort of diving into what's going on in my brain. And and I can either check out from my brain or I can actually like go deeper into my brain and use it as a, okay, like I'm, I'm arguing with myself about whether I should go another mile or whether I should try a heavier lift. And then I can ask like, well, hey, why? What's going on? What are you afraid of? So I do think it's a really powerful tool for the purposes of going deeper into your brain. All the while, yes, you can also use it to check out if you're thinking, oh, this is something that I have to do to be productive today or whatever. Like there's just so much socialization that goes goes on around that. But I think it's an excellent tool. And I, I think like with running, pushing yourself and I'm not, I don't mean pushing yourself through pain or injuring yourself, but like kind of challenging yourself to try something that is outside of your comfort zone is kind of a way to build evidence for the rest of your life that like, Oh, actually maybe I can do things that like my brain throws up roadblocks immediately. Like, oh, this is a terrible idea. You can't do this. It's going to be too hard. And then you do it and you're actually good at it. And then you can sort of translate that to other areas of your life. So yeah, I'm not yeah, sure I mean, if I think that answered your question or not. <laughs> no, that you did. That's a super important point, which I think we're like coming down on one side more because we're trying to combat the social conversation about this. But of course, like this goes back to the, it's the intention, right? Are you like mm-hmm. running just so you can say to yourself, I did it, I'm allowed to eat today or I'm a good person today or like, this is the only way I know how to deal with bad mood ever. Or are you doing it because you really just enjoy it or it's an opportunity for you to engage with yourself in a different way. I mean, I certainly experienced with lifting that my brain always wants to quit before my body does. And like, that has been a useful lesson, right? That I'm like physically stronger than my brain thinks I am. I mean, we talk so much about the brain on this podcast, but we're never getting a verdict of like, it's always all the brain or it's always all the body. They're Mm -hmm. obviously connected and your brain is in your body. Like they're all the same, right? It's one big system. So I think, no, I think that's like a very important point and the ways in which you like learn a lot about your capacity to whatever, do hard things, your capacity to whatever your whole self-conception is. Like to me, 
the reason that I can come up with that I like, if I were to set an impossible goal of like, I'm going to learn to love exercise or something, I think for me, and I would call it exercise, it'd be like, I'm going to learn to love <laughs> exercising, right? Like, <laughs> like some whatever, an hour a day of like very exercise. It would, it would be because that would be a complete change in my like self conception and my idea of what my body could experience and enjoy or not enjoy and just feel neutral about and do or whatever else, yeah. which is why part of why I don't like this, like, you naturally want to move because I think people might decide, I think I should go for a walk because my muscles get tight when I don't, or I don't sleep as well or whatever else. And like, you actually don't have to love it. Like you don't have to force yourself and you also don't have to love it. And there's not something like wrong with you if you do not naturally feel like you want to move your body all the time, which I think is also what we get taught. Yeah. Well, and I'm a running coach. I do not naturally want to move my body. Like I am, if left to my own devices, I am completely sedentary. And so I I think that like, there's this misconception. Yeah. This whole, like your body naturally wants to move. Mine does not, it does not at all. (laughs) But I also, right. Like I, I, I do move my body every day for the reasons of, I actually do enjoy it once I get moving, but there's never any, like, if I really don't want to go for a run, I just don't go. And there's no beating myself up out of it. It's been many years of unraveling diet mentality to get to that point. But this is like anything else where people think one second, Deb, people think the only two options are like, force yourself with mean words or do nothing. Right. It's like, as opposed to like, there's this in between, which is like, I can like, as with a child, mostly be like, yes, we're going to do this thing. Cause it's like, there Mm -hmm. is this in between. And most people think their options are like, if I don't naturally love it, then I have to beat myself up and tell myself how terrible I am. And those are like my only two options. What did you want to say, Deb? Yeah, I was going to jump in and say, also, I I think that it's a deep mythology that we have to love the things that we do as Mm -hmm. well. Like we can also just cultivate a quality of like neutrality or friendship Mm -hmm. or just curiosity of like, what is my relationship to my body and movement today? But I also just want to say, Jill, it's like when you're like, I'm just going to be completely sedentary. Like, unless you are physically unable to move and you are like paralyzed and everybody moves, everybody moves something. You get up and you go to (laughs) the bathroom, you're moving. And this is the problem with the language that we use. Sedentarism which is a, like, and now it's a whole concept and it's like a disease and it's like sitting is worse than smoking. We have now all of this fear around not moving and we can become obsessive movers, even if we don't even call it exercise and creating a stress cycle, creating all of this fear and threat physiology that's like happening inside of us. And so it's like, we could just start by recognizing that like, Humans are designed for movement. Like that's just a thing that most human beings move all the time. And we're just not noticing how much movement Mm -hmm. is already baked into our day and into our life. And we can just be like, yeah, that's a thing that I do. I am a mover. And I think just that mindset can be so helpful and so empowering for people when they keep thinking that like, yeah, I'm so sedentary and I'm just sitting on the couch. Because we get then stories like there's a study about two to five minutes of walking after a meal, like 60 to 90 minutes after a meal has the greatest impact on your blood sugar and insulin levels. That's two to five minutes. Like how much do we already think like two minutes or five minutes of movement is not enough 
And so we choose to not do it because it's not meeting this kind of moral identity-based concept of movement. And it's like, yeah, if we're telling ourselves we're sedentary, we won't even think I'm going to just get up and walk around for two minutes after I Right, we have such an unrealistic idea. Of, I love that study. There was a study that a few years ago that was like looked at sort of people who live closer to a kind of traditional tribal society life. And it was like, they actually sit around a lot. Like they're not necessarily mm-hmm. sitting in desk chairs in this one posture hunched over a computer. Like it's good to open up your chest and move around. It's like our idea somehow that people were like, I don't know, going on three hour hunting runs every single day. And therefore, if we're not doing that, we're like not moving the way we were intended to or something. When in fact, like most of society, even before modern technology was people like daily normal quote unquote movement, which is like running after your toddler to pick them up and standing around stirring at the fire and like making the whatever you're doing, right? Going out to the garden. Like, I mean, I actually found that paradoxically, and you'd think I would hate any kind of tracking device, but I tried a, one of those rings that's a step tracker for a while. And I actually loved it because I didn't add anything. And it was like, oh, I already, like, that's a significant amount of steps just from like existing and living. And that kind of self-conception of like, it's always in anything. It is so much harder to try to tell yourself I'm X and now I have to become Y as opposed to I am already Y. And like, maybe I want to dial it up a little bit. Or dial it down a little bit. Like if you are somebody who's on the other end and you are like over-exercising for kind of, we actually never even determined, you know, we forgot to define the word buffering, but you're doing it to like (laughs) deal with emotions, prove you're a good person for like moralizing reasons, like to understand that like, if you stop doing that, you're you're still someone who moved. Like either way that Mm -hmm. you're trying to adjust it, like not having your identity be, it's black, white, it's on, off, I have to be doing this or I'm not doing anything at all. I feel like it's a big takeaway. Yeah, Sarah. Yeah. So I was just reflecting back during the pandemic and being in the same environment for two years, being in a box and like how that impacted me. And so just walking outside and being in nature, I access different thoughts, Mm -hmm. whether I was moving or not. And so sometimes there's other factors, you know, because for me, running is meditation, running is, is all the things. And so through movement, you can access different parts of your brain and you can problem solve, et cetera. And so different people use it for different things, but I think environment is huge. I don't like to work out inside. I don't like to go to gyms. I mean, I went to one this last week and I was like, I hate this. Like I like to be outside. And so it's just interesting to see like what your preferences are, but when you're relying on something, because my two go-to buffers are food and exercise. And they seem to like counter each other, but like, Mm -hmm. I want to eat whatever I want to eat. I also want to move a lot. And so it's just interesting to have the awareness that those are my buffers. And when Mm -hmm. I get stressed out, I'm usually going to grab for one of those. I think that point about the outside is so important also, right? Because it's like, obviously not everybody's access to the same amount of outdoors or enjoys the same amount, but there are also quite a lot of studies showing, right? Sort of physiological benefits of exposure to nature. But I think that's such a good point. Like if you're somebody who goes for a 10 mile run every day and you for and for you that not you, Sarah, just the person listening that is over exercising, whatever you're injuring yourself, you're stressed out all the time. You don't feel okay if you don't. It's like how much of the benefits that you're getting are from the run? How much of it is from being outside? Would going for a walk in the woods give you some of the same benefits? Like we just assume that anything good that happens to us is from the exercise, right? As opposed to like, or it's from the intensity as opposed to like, 
nope, just kind of moving your muscles around so the lymph flows around is good or just like seeing some birds is good for you or whatever kind of, you know, I always think about those studies about nutrition and that your mood when you eat something and your expectation about it impacts what nutritional value you get from the food, right? So like, are you really better off if you go for a five mile run and every minute of the run you are telling yourself what a terrible person you are and how fat and ugly and disgusting you are and how you have to earn the right to eat a cookie later. Like, is that super healthy for you compared to like taking a walk and practicing nice thoughts to yourself? You know, this might, one might be better. So I'd love to hear kind of closing thoughts from each of you. But I think for me that, I mean, these conversations are always wide ranging in a way I love, but I like to try to pull them back. Like for people listening to this, it's like, number one, just look at your intentions around if you're somebody who does kind of exercise and quote unquote exercise, move a lot intentionally, but you have drama or stress around that, like look at those thoughts, look at those intentions, right? Like don't believe the lie that in order to benefit your health, it's like that the most important thing is sort of the paces you put your body through, regardless of how you're thinking about yourself, how you're talking to yourself. And even just like you said, we all buffer, like Sarah said, we all buffer, but just being aware, right? Not like, shitting on yourself if you eat cake and praising yourself if you go for a run when you're doing those for the same fucking reason of managing your emotion, just like, right. Like be aware of what you're doing and why, and like practicing self acceptance or compassion throughout that. And then if you're somebody who does not move a lot and has a lot of drama around that, as you know, Deb and Jill and I are talking about like recognizing the ways you do move already and thinking of yourself as a, like think you can think of yourself as a healthy, strong person and you will get a result from that even if you are not really changing your behavior, at least at first, although I think ultimately you end up, if you think you're healthy and strong, you end up wanting to do more things. Like you got to kind of cycle. Those are my takeaways. What about you guys? I think the important thing is to like recenter ourselves as the one deciding Mm -hmm. what it is that we need in our lives. And that's hard to do without beginning to like, open up this internal conversation between our mind and our body, like notice how they're related and just develop this like deep curiosity and like compassionate self-witnessing. So what are the thoughts in your head when you're like, before you go for a walk or while you're taking a walk, when you feel some discomfort in your body, bringing yourself along as your own ally will tell you so much more and like be so much more healthful. I like kind of hate that word. So, I know. Health but like we'll be so no, right? Like that we always we'll have, have a better overall impact on your experience yeah. in the body. That will yeah, right? That the idea that we always have to be pursuing health is like a whole nother thing. Yeah, a whole other but, podcast. I think we're recording like, that at three with Michelle. So we're getting that to yeah. that later today. But like becoming the one who decides, which means like uprooting the other people's voices in our heads and just being like, what do I choose to do at this time and with my body? Because as I coach on pain, I think what you just said was so right, which is like, when we think of ourselves as strong and capable, we actually like our perception of our body creates our body's experience. Mm -hmm. And so when we think of ourselves as movers, moving is something that we just already assume we're doing rather than that there's this giant gap between me and the person I want to be. And it's like, how are we already that person? And then do we want to dial up the intensity or the frequency 
what are the things that I actually want to be doing with my body? Like, do I want to play more? Do I want to be able to do these activities? Like knowing our why and having that be personal can be really powerful. Yeah. What about you, Sarah? And then we'll end with Jill. Yeah. So understanding, starting to unpack why we take the actions that we do, you know, unwinding some of the patriarchy, the internalized fat phobia, I mean, ableism. I mean, so many messages that we pick up and for me, even thin privilege and white privilege, but like, as I just started to unpack some of that and the nuances of why I do what I do and being that compassionate witness. And in this area specifically, I don't think that there is a better approach to health than learning how to actually process your feelings. It's coaching one on one one but I think in my personal experience, like processing a feeling all the way through without resisting that, that is like the best thing for your health. And just taking a look at those buffers, your actions and why, and just learning that, you know, that process all the way through. And I mean, that is the knowledge that you can have for the rest of your life. And so you can choose with intention and create the habits and the actions that you really want. Yeah. Love that, right? Like, even if you do love to go on long runs, how nice would it be if those were just for fun? Because you didn't have to use them to manage your emotional state because you could do that separately anyway. Exactly. Uh, Joe, what do you got? Yeah, I agree. Everything Deb and Sarah have already said. And I guess I want to add too that if you do decide that you want to try something like running or cycling or swimming or like a more traditional sport, I'm using air quotes here, that just because there's this belief out there that you have to be fast to be a runner, you have to like do sports a certain way. Like you actually do get to decide exactly how you want to participate because there's no definition of what it's like to be a cyclist or a runner or triathlete or any of that stuff. And there's no body type in the dictionary that says this is, you know, what that type of person should look like. So you actually get to define all of it for yourself. And I think that that takes a lot of thought work because, you know, you've been told, okay, runners look a certain way and they run a certain speed and so forth, but you actually have the authority in your life to make those decisions for yourself and create the vision of what that looks like for you so that you can actually have fun with it and actually enjoy it and not use it as a punishment or a way to beat yourself up. Love it. Yes. And if you are a fat person socialized as a woman who wants to learn to run, Jillianne, she's your place to go. But we will put everybody's contact info in the show notes. Yeah. Thank you guys for coming on and deconstructing exercise. And I know that some people's brains hurt after this episode, and that's a good thing. All right, my chickens, I'll talk to you next week. Bye. If you're loving what you're learning in the podcast, you have got to come check out The Clutch. The Clutch is the podcast community for all things Unfuck Your Brain. It's where you can get individual help applying the concepts to your own life. It's where you can learn new coaching tools not shared on the podcast that will blow your mind even more. And it's where you can hang out and connect over all things thought work with other podcast chickens just like you and me. It's my favorite place on earth and it will change your life. I guarantee it. Come join us at www.unfuckyourbrain.com forward slash the clutch. That's unfuckyourbrain.com forward slash the clutch. I can't wait to see you there.